amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Kutcher. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this 12th day of January, 2017. We're here with our co-host today, Jay Basser, and our guest speaker today, John Dorley. We're going to run over a few things, see what you all think about it. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to call in that number uh, being uh, 347-237-4819. That call-in number, once again, is 347-237-4819. And then when you get in, just click on one, and we'll see you in the queue and try to get you on here. Uh, how you doing today, John Dorley? I'm doing good, Gerald. It's always a pleasure to participate in the radio shows and uh, certainly uh, open to answering any questions that callers may have or, or any clarifications that need to be made. A lot of things have been changed with the VA recently with the uh, the appointment of, uh, or not the appointment yet, but uh, President-elect Donald Trump has, has finally got around to uh, nominating uh, Dr. Dave David Shulkin who is currently the Undersecretary of the Veterans Health Administration to to run the whole show, run the entire Veterans Administration. So, um, yeah, that'd be interesting to talk about. And, and certainly, again, if you guys have any questions out there, feel free to call in. Uh, yeah, what do you think about this new guy, John? Uh, I don't know that much about him, and I, uh, I... I hadn't heard, so I hadn't had a chance to to research him. Uh, you, what, what's your personal uh, feelings? Just you know, off off the cuff here. Uh, what do you think he might uh, have a chance? Well, I, I did a little research on the guy, and uh, one thing about him, he's highly respected. I, I was trying to get the vibe from some of the veterans organizations like the American Legion and VFW and DAV. Um, it was a, somewhat of a surprise pick to them, but I think all in all, everyone is very satisfied with the pick to this point. He's he's well-respected within the veterans community. Uh, as I had mentioned, he, he's got some experience with the uh, Department of Veterans Affairs. He's the current undersecretary for the Veterans Health Administration, um, one thing was surprising, he's not a veteran. Uh, he's the first non-veteran to hold this post, assuming he's nominated. So uh, I think that's turned a little people, uh, it's turned some people uh, the other way. But I think all in all, um, 
let's give him a shot. Let's, let's see what he can do and 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 try to carry on to some of the programs that uh, Secretary McDonald has tried to implement. And hopefully he has the uh, the opportunity to do that, the political backing and the funding to do that as well. Well, yeah, funding's a big part of the VA, and and any little squeeze they put on them, it, it seems like it comes out of the medical end of it as well, you know, as well as some out of the uh, adjudicating in the claims and the bills. But uh, that kind of puts a hurt on them. And, well, one thing I'd like to see done for sure is do away with a lot of them bonuses, if not all of them, for now, temporarily. But uh, he's going to have a rough job. Yeah, I think that certainly incentive bonuses are, I think there's a place for them, but you want to manage them very closely and make sure those incentive bonuses are, are being earned if they're going to have them. Uh, but but no, I, I think he'll be he'll be nominated, he'll be approved, and he'll be allowed to uh, uh, do the job that that he's allowed to do. Uh, by that I mean he, he's going to need political support, and I think with uh, uh, Republican-held legislative and Senate and Congress, he's going to have that support, uh, and, and uh, a lot of it's going to be funding, and so. Um, Certainly, uh, a lot of our tax dollars needs to be placed in certain areas, and and I think there's there's no better area to place those tax dollars in is, is the serving this country's veterans, and so that starts with providing quality health care, timely care, timely service, and uh, trying to put something together with the uh, compensation and pension department to make sure those claims are adjudicated quickly and properly as well. Absolutely, you're right on there. Uh, well, only thing we can do is give him our support, and let's hope he he can pull it off. He he knows what if he's been work, working there as an undersecretary, uh, he might have a pretty good drift of what some of the issues are, and be able to take care of some things real quick. When when President Obama had the uh, issues with uh, the VA Medical Center in Arizona and, and the Phoenix, Arizona, and, and the other VA Medical Centers as far as timeliness and 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 uh, uh, waiting lists were being uh, uh, cooked, the books were being cooked, uh, President Obama had appointed uh, Dr. Shulkin to clean up this mess. Uh, and, and for what it's worth, he, he has made a lot of strides. And and like I said, I've, I've, I've tried to get the vibe from the major veterans organizations, and I didn't see any bad words about it. I think the majority of them, if not all of them, are are somewhat excited about it and, and are, are looking forward to working with him. So um, it'll be interesting. He comes from the private sector. Uh, he had managed a number of major hospitals out east. And um, so we'll see how it goes. Well, that's... Uh... I guess it's going Hope to get us a moving. <laughs> Hope he does a good job because Trump loves to hire people and he likes to fire him just the same. So he does a bad job today or number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the scapegoat theory. 
someone someone's head's going to roll if something major happens again, uh, just like uh, uh, Mr. Chenseki found out, um, and to some degree, Mr. McDonald, the current secretary. Um, and, and John, John, you and I were talking a little bit about privatization, um, and, I, and I think the majority of the veterans are, are for, to some degree, privatization of the VA Medical Center, at least giving veterans the option to either use the VA Medical Center or use a contracted facility outside the VA Medical Center without having to jump through a lot of hoops and paperwork, which is currently the way it is now. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how all that shakes up. My, my feeling with, with uh, uh, Mr. Shulkin is that he, he wants to try to fix the system the way it currently is. Um, I didn't get the impression he was leaning really strong towards privatization, but, uh, but, but things change, so it'll be interesting to see what he does. Well, why couldn't you have either or? That'd be my choice. Uh, if you're real close to a VA facility and and it's taking good care of you, uh, uh, why not stay there? Uh, but there's some that, uh, you know, you go into them and my landry treats you plum bad. So I could see a person not choosing to stay there. And if you had very far to go, uh, it'd be better, you know, more logical to go to uh, medical services there in the town you're in. Yeah, the the way they do it now, Gerald, is is the VA Medical Center does contract with outside providers for veterans who who live within, outside of a certain radius of the nearest VA Medical Center. And they've also afforded veterans the opportunity to go outside the VA Medical Center if a particular clinic is booked out a certain level, a certain time frame. So uh, there is that. Um, the unfortunate part about it is, is is there's a lot of hoops to jump through oftentimes is to get approved to do that. So that gets frustrating sometimes. I think what, what we're talking about with privatization is, is regardless of how far they're booked out or regardless of how far you live away from the VA Medical Center, you would actually have the opportunity to to see a doctor outside the VA Medical Center uh, just because you want to. Um, There are veterans that love the VA Medical Center. Um, I use the VA Medical Center, and and overall I'm pretty happy with it, although I don't have any serious chronic issues. So uh, I'm certainly not speaking for those veterans, but for myself I like it. Um, But uh, I think veterans should have the option as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I have a pretty good setup on mine, but I'm using Medicare and then a gap insurance, uh, which that gap insurance is pretty costly. But I can get by without going to the VA. And matter of fact, I do most of my doctoring here in town. Very, very little, uh, you know, a yearly visit at the VA is is about it uh, uh, now. The gap insurance can be expensive. Um, you know, you're talking the big, the big companies like Blue Cross, Blue Shield, uh, Medica, those types of companies, and and their premiums are all based on uh, uh, underwriters. They do a health study of the veterans, and so certainly with with anybody that applies to those gap insurance companies, they look at the overall health of the veteran. And I, you know, I've seen 
some of my clients pay five, six hundred dollars a month just for gap insurance because of their their serious health concerns. But but you're right, uh, Medicare does not cover everything. Uh, you're rolling the dice if you don't carry some sort of gap insurance. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> I think I'm paying a hundred and fifty a month on my gap insurance which I was very fortunate to get in, slide in the door there on their sign-up time. But uh, uh, still, one trip to the hospital, and, and you more than say that. Uh, and, of course, going to the VA, maybe it'd be uh, free, but the VA for me is not real practical, being a hundred and 20 miles away, other than a little clinic 50 miles down the road. But they can take care of the colds and flus and little things right. like that. One thing that I like to, with respect to the VA Medical Center, um, I, I keep in contact with them. In fact, I had my annual visit today. One thing veterans need to know about is that um, if you if you do not continue some sort of health care with the VA Medical Center, even if it's an annual health care checkup, uh, the risk you run is if you incur an emergency debt outside the VA Medical Center and you haven't been in contact with the VA Medical Center for some time, the VA Medical Center won't cover that emergency cost. So although I like the VA Medical Center, I, I'll be honest, the main reason I, I check in there once or twice a year is just in case something happens to me where I incur a debt outside the VA Medical Center that's an emergent debt. Um, if I haven't maintained contact with the VA Medical Center, they will not cover that that emergent debt. Uh, and I don't carry health insurance in my own private business, and I have the VA Medical Center, so so that's important to me. So the point I'm making is that that's one thing listeners want to be made aware of, that when you're covering emergency debts, healthcare debts outside the VA Medical Center, don't expect the VA Medical Center to cover that unless you're enrolled in the VA Medical Center and have been seen there. I think it's at least once every six months or once a year, something to that effect. Um, the other thing yeah. is, you know, with, with the VA Medical Center, I just had a couple clients call me the other day, and they said, you know, they told me I couldn't use the VA Medical Center. And I asked them, well, you served active duty, yes. You had an honorable general discharge, and they said yes. So I said, when, when did you serve active duty? And they told me. And, and I said, well, you should be able to use the VA Medical Center, but I told them except for one thing. If you're not a service-disabled veteran and you didn't serve during certain time periods of active duty, for instance, uh, in-country Vietnam, Agent Orange, or OIF, or OEF, or Persian Gulf War, that kind of thing, if you don't fall into those categories, you're going to be subject to what's called a means test. And a means test is where the VA Medical Center looks at your previous year's income and assets. And, and if your income is, is too high, they will not enroll you in the VA Medical Center. So I think that's one thing that veterans need to be made aware of. Um, of course, there's, there's an easy way to get around that is become a service-disabled veteran. And even if it's a, a small disability rating, a uh, 10% rating will get you health care for all care at the VA Medical Center, not just for that disability, but all health care at the VA Medical Center. There are some exclusions like dental, 
but but for the most part, you're going to be covered. Yeah, we can touch on a little further, John. We can talk about that because you know each group. The you know the VA has seven, has eight different party groups, and if you're service connected at fifty percent or above, you're in party group one. Right. Then if you're forty percent down to twenty percent, you're in party group two. If you're ten percent, you're in party group three. But also in group three also includes the Purple Heart recipients. You don't have to have a service connected disability you, as long as you got a purple heart you fit in party group three automatically. Yep. And then if yep. you don't have insurance and uh, you you have to take the mean test, I think to place you in like party group seven or eight. And that goes on uh, yep. you know, as, as needed basis. It's kind of a convoluted hierarchy that the VA Medical Center has. And I, I try to break it down in common sense terms. But, yeah, there are priority groups one through eight or nine, and then they have like an 8B, 8C, 9A, 9B. So it, it breaks down even farther than that. Uh, I, I, I tend to break it down in, in simplified terms. Um, military service, uh, you had to have a certain time period of military service. It gets a little complicated there, but for the most part, as long as you had active duty service, not active duty for training, but active duty service, and it was at least a general discharge or honorable, uh, you're going to get into the VA Medical Center as long as your means test is is below a certain level. Now, if it's above that certain level, then you're looking at falling into other priority categories, like John had mentioned, uh, Purple Heart, Prisoner of War, uh, exposed to Agent Orange, atmospheric testing, radiation, uh, Persian Gulf War syndrome, those types of protected categories. Um, but yeah, I think I think for the most part, if, if there were any veterans that had any questions about getting into the VA Medical Center, certainly your your, your county veteran service officer, your veteran service officer, is going to be able to help you with that. I know, and back in the day when I served in that role, that was pretty standard knowledge with with me. And and I, you can always call me directly too. I field general question calls all the time. Tell you an interesting story. I've got an uncle. He uh, retired here recently. He's an athletic director at a college, and he was in the army back in the '60s, and he had his finger amputated. So they gave him 10 percent of on his extra from the army. Of course, he never used the VA, you know, in his lifetime. Of course, he had a 10 percent you know, from the VA. And after he retired, he wanted to go to the VA. They walked in the VA and they sent him down the means test room and he done his paperwork and they said, you don't qualify for VA treatment. And it kind of hurt his feelings, you know, because he you know, didn't know what to do. So I got wind of it and I picked him up one day and took him over there and walked him back into the means test office and I said, this guy's 10% service disability. He needs to be put in probably group three right now. Okay. Sure and enough, they what they up, found it. They put him in part of group three. They put him in part of group three. Yeah, and, and what I what I what I found, John, is that a lot of those 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 workers don't look at the trees before the forest. What I used to find is that if a veteran secured a, a service-connected disability many many years ago, um, it 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 may not show up on their database, but but if they dig hard enough, they'll find it. So I I think what I'm what I'm hearing is that you probably got a worker that didn't look very hard. Um, and 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 fortunately, he had you to get him through. Yeah. So I mean, I see it happen every day. You know, just 
things like that. I mean, if they would dig a little bit deeper and, and do their job correctly, and then, you know, instead of jumping to conclusions and telling these guys the wrong answer, you know, it happens a lot. You know, because these guys, you know, these guys got these single ten percenters and stuff. You know, back in the day, before the age of computers, you know, everything's all, you know, it's all hard copy paper somewhere. There's no, you know, you can't look them in the computer and say, okay, here's a service next to this building. You know, so they have to recreate the record and put it in there. You know, so they can you know, order to order to make it. You know, to, to make a disability in, in their service connection and their project group. You know, recognized. And, uh, even having yeah. purple heart, but you know, like, well, we don't see you have a purple heart. This it's just what it is. It's more red tape. What I like to do, John. What I like to do, John and Gerald, is, is as a power of attorney, I'll have veterans who are my clients might call me and they'll they'll tell me how they were treated or what they were told at a particular VA regional office or VA medical center. And, and what I'll do is I'll call the specific person that these guys talk to. And uh, I won't even tell them who I am. I won't tell them I'm a power of attorney or anything like that. And I'll kind of present myself as someone who's asking the same types of questions that my client was. And not, and what I'll, what'll happen is they'll tell me the same uh, ridiculousness that that they told my client. And and then I'll start. Then the claws come out. And I start. Well, what about this? What about that? Well, according to this, according to that. And then you can just tell them getting kind of defensive. And then I then what I, I, I you know I identify myself and. And and I prior to that I, I I make sure I understand who the name is of the person I'm talking to because a lot of times when you put them in a corner like that then you ask them what their name is but they don't want to give it because then they know that they're caught so a lot of times and I'm not looking to try to get workers in trouble all I'm trying to do is educate them and 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 try to explain to them that these veterans need help and and if they don't understand that then then I go over their head and talk to their supervisor and it, it gets worked out that way so. Um, I've always made it a mission to try to weed out the snakes in the VA VA medical centers and, uh, and the Veterans Administration. And for the most part, they, they do a good job and they try to do a good job. But there's always that 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 crew that that ruins that ruins it for everyone. So, um, but I thought I'd just share that with you. That's kind of how I weed them out a little bit is, is to call up like I'm just Joe Veteran. They don't know any better. They don't know that I've been doing this for 25 years. Yeah, no, I, well, I know I when they come out with that new law on Project 112 Chad, which uh, does put you in a separate group, but also it's supposed to take care of your copay for any ailment that could be associated with 112 Chad. And... Uh, well, I've run into a brick wall with the VA medical because they kept wanting to bill me. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, I had to call claims assistance in Washington, D.C. and got a hold of a nice lady there. And she took about a week of talking to how many people to get the to get these uh, folks down here in Muskogee, uh, regional VA, uh, to understand what's going on with no copays. <laughs> but they did. Right. And now I don't right. have right. a copay. Hey, so, look what you had to go through, you know. look, look at the hoops you had to jump through to get that done. It was probably over a week, but... 
Uh, she had quite time. She says, I don't, <laughs> she kept telling me, I don't know what about no copay. They don't understand. It was a law. They yeah, passed okay. the law. <laughs> and uh, I've had problems. They claimed, now, what they're saying down here at the medical center is all my ailments are attached one way or another to Project 112 SHAD because they they don't uh, charge me a copay or nothing. And, and the primary care team or whoever approves it, approves it on new medicines. And, and Gerald, what, what you're talking about is, is much like... There's a, there's a law with the VA Medical Center that it, if a veteran was exposed to a specific type of substance or toxin, if they, if they have a disability that can even remotely be related to that, they are to receive health care at the VA Medical Center free of charge. They don't have to necessarily be service-connected for that disability. They just, have to show exposed, they just have to show they're exposed to it and that it could be medically reasonable that... that uh, that that you could have uh, acquired it through that means. Now, if you showed up with a broken leg, that oh. would clearly be something that that's not related. But but of course, in Gerald's case, you're a service disabled veteran. But I'm talking somebody that's not even service disabled. Yeah, right. Uh, yes, that's the way it works, uh, John. And uh, it's quite a hoop for all to go through, but you can do it. What's that, you know, John? John? That's the yep. same situation as that hook you worked a couple of years ago when he, he got uh, sort of breath and fell and broke his leg. Remember that? Yep. yep. Yeah. That type of scenario. But, you know, I've had some diesel, too. You know, I've even seen them charge my insurance company for, for like, MRIs on service, you know, on conditions of service connected and everything. And you talk to them about it, and they're like, ah, shut up, go on. And, you know, they don't, they don't really care. Well, one one of the tricks they one of the tricks the VA Medical Center does, and I know they know better, is is that they will bill private insurance companies for treatment for service connected disabilities. Now, it's kind of a double edged sword because technically they're they're not supposed to be charging uh, health insurance companies outside the VA Medical Center if a veteran receives treatment for a service connected disability. But on the other right. hand. It does, does bring more money into the VA medical center system, which which helps you know everyone overall. But then the other side of it is then your insurance premiums are going up across the board. If, if they continue, yeah. to, these private insurance companies continue to pay out to the VA medical center erroneously, these private insurance companies aren't going to lose any money. They're just going to raise everyone's rates. Yeah. And they seem to don't care. I mean, I've contacted them before. They're like, well, they kind of don't care, you know. You if you take you take ten thousand veterans at hundred percent, they're getting MRIs and social service neck conditions. Those MRIs are four or five thousand bucks a piece. That's a lot of money. Yeah, Cause that's taking the right direction out of their profits. What they're doing. Yeah, you know, but in there. Supposed to be adequate funding for the VA? Uh, well, that's debatable. I think uh, it is debatable. Uh, they must not be. 
Speaking at least what I know about the VA Medical Center, what I've always heard is they're not adequately funded. They, they can't draw the top doctors. Um, the doctors that they do draw use the VA Medical Center as training establishments. And once they cut their teeth at the VA Medical Center, they go work for a private enterprise and make double what they're making at the VA Medical Center. If, if, if the public really want quality care at the VA Medical Center, um, you know, our tax dollars are going to have to go towards that. And, and you contact your senators and your congressmen to put more money towards the VA Medical Center so that they can draw the top doctors and keep the top doctors, draw top nurses and keep top nurses. Uh, registered nurses are in short supply at the VA Medical Center all over the country, nurse practitioners as well. And the main reason is because they can make a lot more money somewhere else. Yep, it's true. But again, again, they have to they have to use that appropriated money correctly and use it wisely, John. Which has been proven to the fact that they haven't done that either. You know, they've been putting money in different accounts and doing this and that with it, and funding their weekend meetings and or lavish things like that, and giving bonuses yep. and stuff with it, and it's supposed to be used for hiring qualified professionals. So it's inside the VA that needs to be cleaned out. And, and what's nice about uh, uh, Dr. Shulkin, again, he's the one that Trump has pegged to be the, uh, the head of the Department of Veterans Affairs, is that he's an inside man. Um, he's got a lot of experience with that. And, and, and unlike other... Uh, other secretaries of the VA, um, he's going to have a lot of experience uh, hands-on within the VA Medical Center. So certainly I, I hope that that's something he's going to be able to uh, attend to. Let's hope so. Uh, I hope he starts with those bonuses. It just don't look <laughs> proper. <laughs> I mean... They pay a lot of money out in bonuses. Of course, I know the VA is a large conglomerate, but uh, my God, they're paying multi-million dollars out in bonuses. Well, if they're performance bonuses and they're earning it, that's that's one way to make up for the salary that they're not making that they could be making outside the VA Medical Center. So if, if you tell a doctor I'll pay you if, if you tell a doctor I'll pay you $150,000 annually on a salary, and he knows he can make $250,000 outside of the outside of the VA Medical Center. But if this doctor knows that performance bonuses will take him up to 250000 or 300000 or whatever those good doctors make, that's an incentive to keep them at the VA Medical Center. So I, I think the, the theory of performance bonuses is good, uh, but it's got to be policed. You yes. can't just hand it out. Yes. You can't hand it out like candy. I can uh, agree with a bonus properly awarded, but uh, uh, there's so many. Okay. <laughs> Of course, we're looking at the negative side more than we are the positive side, I believe. There is a lot of positive about the VA, and uh, there are some deserving people there that do, uh, should receive bonuses. Well, if you notice, folks, that, that major problems the VA's had 
over the past several fiascos or scandals, basically didn't really involve the, the medical profession itself, the doctors or people like that. It involved the administrative staff who were cooking the books, the ones that made the appointments and stuff. They found a way that they could manipulate the system so they showed that they were doing their job so they'd get their bonuses. And that wasn't yeah, now, that was yeah, that's staff. wrong. And, uh, that, yeah. and then the, the bonuses, the, the, the high-level doctors and administrative staff, they get the majority of the bonus money as far as percentage-based, and they go percentage-based based on performance. And when you do your evaluation, you know, the average worker, the person that takes the x-ray or that takes the blood or does this test and that test, they're, you know, they, they wind up getting a very measly bonus compared to less of them. They're doing most of the work, and that's not fair. And and the Those people that are the the people that at the VA medical centers that are observing these things that are noting these irregularities, uh, they're they're for fear of losing their job, uh, being labeled a whistleblower, and and so they mm-hmm. keep their mouth shut because they don't want to lose their job because they they have uh, authority over them that has indiscreetly explained to them. Uh, either shut up or you won't work here anymore. Now, that that being said, uh, that has gone on much more in the past, and it's probably always going to go on, but, but that has been called to the attention of of the higher-ups within the Department of Veterans Affairs to, to provide safeguards for whistleblowers and to be very uh, vigilant and cognizant of uh, administrative officials that are cooking the books, as we learned with the... Uh, uh, the VA Medical Center in Arizona, Phoenix, um, as I recall, uh, they were cooking the books to make the waiting list uh, look a lot shorter than what it really was. Didn't she sue to get her job back and win? The, the lady that was held responsible for that, I had read something about that. I, she, she's not certainly working there anymore. I, I think the, the big uh, hullabaloo was that she was offered a pretty uh, – fancy uh, payout, uh, buyout to leave. And so I, I think the co- the consensus was that she should have been fired on the spot without any type of severance package. Yeah. Well, again, you've got these unions and stuff involved, and it's, you know, it's a pretty sad situation. Well, but I, I also... Uh, no, I was, I was just going to talk a little bit about a few things that have come across the board on the compensation side of it. As as some of the listeners may know, I'm I'm a, a power of attorney veteran service officer for 25 years, and I think it's important for uh, OIF and OEF veterans, Afghanistan, Iraqi veterans, to be aware of the fact that uh, our government has saw fit to further extend the deadline that they can file for uh, diagnosed and undiagnosed illnesses and with respect to uh, what's commonly known as the Persian Gulf War Syndrome. Uh, it had expired December 31st of 2016. In October 2016, they extended that uh, five years out to December 31st of 2021. I believe that's the fourth or fifth extension that it's had. So what's important to know there is that you veterans who served in the Middle East, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Afghanistan is included, and that's another topic we can talk about. Uh, but if you served in that area and you have diagnosed illnesses like 
stomach illnesses, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome. The VA is automatically service connecting that if you're diagnosed with it. Now, there's a whole plethora of undiagnosed illnesses that can be service connected as well. That gets a little bit more complicated in getting service connected. But uh, I thought I'd bring that up because that was an interesting uh, new law and extension of the time period to file for uh, Persian Gulf War related illnesses. Is is there would there be a list uh, on the Gulf War website? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, okay. It, it, it's it's not all inclusive too. I, I think certainly anything within within the realm of a possibility would be considered as a Persian Gulf War illness, uh, undiagnosable that kind of thing, and, and and certainly they take those on a case by case basis. Uh, based on the evidence of record that can be backed up by medical health experts, professionals, specialists, things of that sort. Well, why wouldn't that work for the Project 112 Chad veterans? Well, Gerald, to be honest, it was a long time ago, and I'm not speaking, you know, I, I think I should be, but the fact is it's... It, kind of one of those out of sight, out of mind things, um, and, and th- there just isn't as many veterans that were exposed to what you were exposed to in comparison to uh, the most recent uh, situations with Iraq, Afghanistan. Um, the, squeaky wheel gets the, grease. the squeaky wheel gets the grease, Gerald, unfortunately, and, and so a lot of the other legitimate ones like uh, the shad that you talked about uh, don't get uh, the attention that it deserves. Uh, yeah, and there's going to be more of the Gulf War veterans. Uh, there was quite a few of those. So, yeah, there's going to be a larger number to deal with. Yeah. And, and they got date ranges, too. Yeah. They do. Uh, the date after September 11, 2001. Uh, guys, the other thing I was going to talk a little bit about is uh, I found it interesting that the Secretary of the VA, Robert McDonald, uh, June of 2016, had uh, provided equitable relief to all veterans who were uh, who had filed for TBI, traumatic brain injury, uh, if they were denied TBI or if they were rated for TBI but not rated as high as they wanted to. Uh, the VA is seeking out veterans to have their claim reconsidered. Uh, Secretary McDonald and his staff had determined that for TBI exams that were uh, uh, covered from 2007 to 2015, they weren't administered properly. They weren't conducted by uh, the proper health care professionals. And so what they're yep. doing is they're inviting veterans to, to, to reopen those claims, get a TBI examination, and, and this is the nice part about it is that if, in fact, those TBI compensation exams result in service connection or an upgrade, the law says in the equitable relief letter that any award has to go back to the original date of claim. That could be uh, years ago. So um, I've already filed a number of claims with respect to that. And I've actually, I have Secretary McDonald's letter on my hard drive. I print it off and I include it with every application that I put in. So far, it's worked out pretty well. 
Well, that's a good deal. Finally, yeah, they got Trump beneficial. What's that, John? Nurse practitioners doing that exam. They had nurse practitioners and stuff, unqualified people doing that exam. Yeah, you know, yep. and uh, it, it's pretty sad. I mean, they had to have neurologists to do that, and they didn't do it. So there's a lot of veterans that they got burnt for this. It's it's one of the most complicated compensation exams out there, in my opinion, uh, especially when you have veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, or anxiety, that kind of thing, because a lot of that symptomology overlaps with TBI, and it takes a qualified physician to be able to separate the different residual problems. But anyway, well, I don't know. They're, they're uh, making the positive move here. Uh, to help those poor guys, and you know there's a lot of them need it. Yep. John, you ought to post that had it. What's that, John? You ought to make a post that I don't have it. And, uh, you know, make basically, a topic of that? Yep. That's yeah, make a topic of that. Explains in the letter, you know, and then, you know, and if that's somebody's had a situation like that, because that automatically puts them in... The, did they put them in the automatic to appeal status, or is it just a real time, or how they treat them? No. You know, if if we're still within the appeal time frame, then, then yeah, I file the appeal. But if we're outside the appeal time frame, then then I I, I, I apply the logic of, of that letter I talked about from Secretary McDonald and, uh, um, and force the VA to conduct the examination, service connect the TBI, and make it effective back to when they filed the original claim. That'd make it a key, wouldn't they done it that way and let it come overrode what they decided? So that'd be clear I wouldn't even have to file. I wouldn't have to. I wouldn't have to file a Q. Q is a clear and unmistakable error yeah. for listeners. Um, in this case, Secretary McDonald's word is the law. It's golden. Um, you don't have to mess yeah. around with appeals or Qs when it comes to that letter and TBI. Now. How'd they get busted for that anyway? Just, I know I I I vaguely remember it, but you know, some 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 court or somewhere had to had to had to hit him pretty hard with that. Was that was that a veterans court rule or was that uh, just something that uh, McDonald took on himself? Something you know, the, 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 what, what? The, the, the text of the letter didn't identify any type of uh, CVA or BVA opinion or anything to that effect. Uh, you know, I try to. I think I try to read between the lines. I think where I'm leaning more towards that uh, there was probably a general uh, oversight audit of the VA Medical Center's compensation and pension departments, and uh, someone someone caught wind of these PBI examinations. It probably started with a number of complaints by uh, applicants or family members, and and like I said, the squeaky wheel gets. And they thought, okay, we're hearing more and more of this, so we better look at this a lot closer. Next thing you know, they're finding these compensation exams for TBI are being done by general practitioners, nurse practitioners. they got to be done by specific specialists that that practice yeah. in traumatic injury. No, there was a doctor that was nationally that was special kind of stuff working with the VA and the stuff. I'm pretty sure that his input was pretty pretty powerful on this stuff. So I can get a I can't remember his name. Do you remember him, Jill? No, I don't remember him, John. 
Yeah, he was working pretty hard. One of the guests we had on the show earlier, a couple of years ago, explained you know what he was doing, and uh, and he basically kind of blew the whistle right in up there that their exams not adequate. Was they were examining and who was doing the examinations, and they had to have a qualified neurologist in order in order to even make it back those things this year. And they weren't doing it, so I'm glad they're I'm yeah. glad they finally ended up. And, and these veterans who are suffering from TBI, they they don't know any better. I mean, they're having cognitive difficulties. They get the examination. They go home. They get the decision. It's denied. They're like, oh, okay. You know, I mean, they, they don't. Their faculties are impaired because of the bruising of the brain. And so unless they have a, a family member who pushes it or a good advocate, power of attorney, veteran service officer, they're going to fall through the cracks. They're not going to know any better. I've had plenty of TBI veterans. I talk with them all the time. And um, I tell them we, we confer on a bunch of different things. And the next day we talk again, they remember maybe half of what we talked about. So anytime I work with a TBI veteran, I, one of the first questions I ask them is, do you have a close friend? Are you married? Do you have uh, a close relative that we can bring into the circle and act as a go-between for, for you and I? Because this TBI, you're going to forget a lot of what I'm going to be telling you as far as what we need to do, uh, what evidence we need to get. Oh, we had uh, Dr. Bridget Cantrell, I don't know if you know her, John, uh, on the show a couple different times, actually, and uh, she's a professional. She works with uh, TBI veterans as well as PTSD veterans. Uh, uh, She's a clinical psychologist or something. But anyway, I can uh, let you have her name. And uh, matter of fact, I just spoke with her last night. I'll I'll send that to you on uh, on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. that that sounds good. I I recognize the name. I don't think I've ever met her I, oh, I've never she, met her talk to her, but uh, she's super. Nice. Uh, she'd be an asset to your operation, John. Oh, she, absolutely! Um, yeah. Is she yeah. independent, guys, or does she work for the VA Medical Center? What's her? She's, a, she's someone I could go for. Okay, good. Yeah. I think you could go for. And you, uh, she, she's nice, very professional. So I think you would enjoy doing some work with her. Um, and uh, she can write the letters, uh, uh, IMOs, and all that. Uh, where, where, she, where, where does she? Where does she live? Where does she practice out of? I think she uh, is in Northern California, she John. Okay, good. I think good. she's in Northern California, that area. Always uh, gives you an avenue to have people strategically located in the United States, since you. Since, since your business is nationwide, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I've got doctors. I've got doctors dotted all over the country that I'm developing very special relationships with. 
some fall by the wayside simply because they don't follow they don't follow up properly or or you leave a message you don't hear back and but but there's that core group of doctors and clinicians physicians that are very veteran friendly and and they're always they'll always pick up the phone when I call uh, and and they do medical opinions um, a lot of times we we have veterans fly to see the doctors sometimes we'll do FaceTime uh, sometimes we'll do case review. Um, uh, they do charge a fee for the most part, but but we can usually work that out too. Now I don't know if she charges a fee, uh, but that's something you can take up with her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even better. But, um, John, quick back to the yeah. day, real quick. Are they still are they still taking these people, these poor folks that had the TBI, and are they? Are they trying to turn their their, their injuries into, into PTSD? I know the VA had a problem trying to do that. Do you have any veterans that you're fighting with over that issue? The VA, the VA is, since, since TBI and PTSD came to the forefront, especially with uh, the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, the VA has had a very hard time trying to separate the two types of disabilities because of the symptomology overlapping. Um, but they've gotten a lot better. I've, I've actually seen a number of rating decisions where they'll rate each separately. TBI uh, rates from 10% to 40% to 70% to 100%. Uh, uh, psychological claims go from 0, 10, 30, 50, 70, to 100. So the point I'm making is that I've seen the VA, if, if, if their clinicians have enough time to study the records, they can separate. They can say, okay, TBI represents this symptomology. PTSD, depression, and anxiety represents this symptomology. These are separate, so we're going to rate PTSD 30, and we're going to rate uh, TBI 40. Uh, it's funny you say that. I, I just had a case the other day, and I'm, I'm, I appealed it. Um, I had a, I had a situation where they rated PTSD and TBI together at 40%, and the rationale was because the, the examiner came to the conclusion that it was, quote-unquote, impossible to separate the two. Well, that's ridiculous. It's probably impossible for that particular clinician who's, who's I don't know what his title was, a doctor, obviously, maybe a nurse practitioner, uh, but I've yet to find uh, uh, a well-versed, highly studied uh, physiologist or someone that practices in TBI that cannot say the symptomology represents PTSD, this symptomology represents TBI. So for any of those listeners out there, make sure that if you've got a decision and they read TBI and PTSD together as one disability, that needs to be appealed. And if it is past the appeal deadline, we need to file a queue, a clear and unmistakable error on that. That's good to know. Yeah. Should not be pyramided. That's what they're trying to say. They're trying to put it under the pyramid scheme for mental health trying to do. Well, Bridget brought that same thing up on the show, too. Yeah, we discussed that. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Tweet that man made a lung condition. You see that? Yeah. What I've also seen seen them do on, on, on that same topic, guys, is they'll rob Peter to pay Paul. Uh, a lot of times I'll have a veteran that's already rated 70% for PTSD, but he never filed a claim for TBI. So 
so the applicant will say, okay, well, I got I got my head rattled pretty good, too, IED or, or whatever. Uh, and the VA will come back and say, okay, well, we're going to rate your TBI 40%, but because some of the symptomology fell into the PTSD, we're going to propose to lower your PTSD from 70 to 30%. Well, they haven't gained anything. In fact, they've lost. Instead of a 70%, they have a 40 and a 30. And a 40 and a 30 doesn't equal up to 70% with the combined rating schedule. So, you know, that veteran actually lost on that. Is there a way to appeal that and correct it? There is. If you, if you file the appeal within one year of notification, then you can. But if you get outside that one year, unless you can show a clear and unmistakable error, uh, you, you lose the uh, date of claim that they that they lowered the disability. Now, certainly, any time the VA lowers the disability, they have to propose it first. They can't just lower it. They have to propose to the veteran, we're going to propose to you to lower a disability. You have the right to uh, provide new material evidence. You have the, the right to provide a hearing. Uh, and the whole shebang. Uh, but if, if eventually the VA says, okay, we're not convinced, we are going to implement the proposal, then you have one year from that date to file the appeal. But if you're past that one-year date, um, you're going to have a hard time getting it back unless you can show some sort of clear and unmistakable error or some new material evidence. Boy, they make it rough. <laughs> Yeah, they do. Well, if you got less than 20 years in for your, in your protection, all the way I see. No. Well, yeah. I'm sorry. Could you ask um, for an equal rating of 70? So I can understand you doing this, but let's give him an equal rating, not, not 30, 40. Well, you, yeah, you would think so, and that's why it's always important that if you're a power of attorney or an advocate, you be careful. You want to look at the negatives and the positives. Yeah. Um, so if I got a veteran of 70% for PTSD and wants to file a claim for TBI, um, I'm, I'm going to research that really close. Yep. Yeah. That sounds like a tough one there. I find the whole thing fascinating. I think when we talk about these these benefits like TBI, PTSD, and some of the things we, we talked about today, uh, that's just scratching the surface of uh, the overall VA compensable disabilities, as, as you two know. Uh, but the average veteran out there, the claimant, they don't, they don't know that. And so that's why it's really important to don't do this on your own. Um, even if you think you know it all, you don't. Uh, I've been doing this 25 years. I don't know it all. Anytime you come across an advocate that says, I know it all, go to a different advocate because you don't know it all. I always tell people 98% of it I do know in my head. That 2% I don't know, I know where to get the answers. So if you have an advocate like that, that's willing to not shoot from the hip, research, study, and 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 cover their bases. That's the kind of advocate you want. That's the kind of advocate I like to think I am. 
Well, it sounds like to me you're doing a really good job there, John. You want to give out your detailed information so people can contact you? Any veteran listening can call me on my personal phone number, area code 651, Minnesota area code, St. Paul, Minneapolis, area code 651-303-3062. That's 651-303-3062. Otherwise, you can email me at benefitsagent at comcast.net. That's benefits, B-N-E-F-I-T-S. Agent, A-G-E-N-T, at Comcast.net. Well, I know we're all hoping for a better and stronger VA that will work with the veterans. And uh, I think contacting our legislators and let them know that we're really interested in this and hopefully there are congressmen and senators are going to follow this real close also uh, but uh, uh, at any rate uh, this good doctor taking over uh, we know he's going to have his hands full I don't know if they're going to have a way of communicating uh He's going to appoint a group of undersecretaries at, for different districts or whatever that uh, uh, the veterans can contact them because we got a lot of veterans out here in the world of hurt that need to get uh, some sort of action. And uh, I ain't seen that claim pile moving yet. Yep, you're, you're right, Gerald, and I think certainly we we had a huge uh, pump of claims uh, with respect to uh, OIF, OEF veterans. Uh, obviously, that's going to happen anytime you have a major war, conflict, things of those sort. Uh, and and as, the, as the wars wind down, things start to even out a little bit. Um, but uh, uh, for the most part, there, there's a lot of veterans out there uh, that are that are in need of quality health care, not just health care, but quality health care and the compensation that they deserve. And and now with the Vietnam veterans entering into their 70s and 80s, we need to be even more vigilant to make sure uh, those people are taken care of, uh, just like we've hopefully tried to do with the Korean veterans and, and the World War II veterans. And I, I don't know what the statistics are of World War II veterans. There can't be a whole lot left. Uh, but uh, we need to take care of them while they're still living. Yes, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> the need seems to always be there, and it seems like they could get to close the gap some, but they don't seem to be able to close the gap. I think uh, Secretary McDonald had some good plans. I don't think he was funded properly. Um, and, and hopefully uh, Dr. Shulkin will receive that support that uh, a Republican-led uh, Senate congressional and legislative office, hopefully they give that to him, and, uh, and he's, a, he's afforded the funding to, to, to spread the money out uh, 
honestly, uh, any performance bonuses are earned rather than given away. And uh, uh, I think making the money work for itself is the key. Well, the money's got to be there. I mean, if you're going to do anything, it requires a certain amount of financing. And uh, I think you're right on McDonald. He just never got the financing. Uh, maybe the good doctor here coming in will be able to, uh, you know, uh, receive those funds and and be in a position to to get the ball going here. He got to put some grease on that wheel, get it moving. <laughs> well, we'll see. I, I think uh, certainly President-elect Trump has his own vision of where the tax dollars should go. And, 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 and a lot of tax dollars under the Obama administration went to areas that uh, President-elect Trump doesn't necessarily support. Um, he is an advocate for veterans, and so my hope is that the uh, the offers go to the Veterans Committee uh, to disperse appropriately, uh, draw in top quality physicians to care for veterans, um, and, and do what it needs to be done to see them timely, or go to, go to privatization or a combination of the two. True. Well, I have to say this: we're totally out of time. John, right, uh, we we really appreciate you coming on. We hit on some good stuff here tonight, and uh, uh, by golly, let's hope this new administration can get us over the hump. And I I agree, guys. Thanks thanks for having me, and, and feel free to 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 bring me on any time that you need. Okay, thanks a lot, John. Okay, And we will be calling on you again, (laughs) I'm sure. Uh, Sounds good, guys. John uh, Basser, thank you for being in here. uh, Anytime, buddy. I think we'll just wind her down and say this is the Had It podcast. We appreciate you all being here. Hope to see y'all back here again next week, same time, same place. And uh, y'all have a good, safe weekend. Thank you. You've been listening to the Hadit.com blog talk radio show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or blog talk radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com blog talk radio and the Ask Basher Show. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. 
the world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.